0: Greetings Livingstone Church, this is Pastor Josh, and I would say good morning to you, but for those of you who have told me that you're listening in the afternoon, I won't exclude you. So wherever and whenever uh, you are listening in, uh, welcome, we're glad that you have decided to tune in and join us uh, for our service. And we pray that your soul would be fed and that you would meet with the Lord as we hear his word as we sing his praises and as we ask him to meet with us. The worship guide is available on our website underneath the sermon link, or it's on the Google Drive folder, and you will want a copy of that so you can engage in the service today. Just a couple quick announcements for this week. We will be continuing our Monday evening Zoom check-ins at 7.30 p.m., and our prayer meeting is at 8 a.m. on Wednesdays. if you're looking for the Zoom links for the Monday evening and the Wednesday morning meetings, uh, you can go to our website, click on the announcement bar at the top of the homepage, or on the link below the banner that says, please click here for our coronavirus updates. Men's time is Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Guys, you will receive an email with the Zoom link for that. Ladies, there are two women's times this week, both on Thursday. The first one is at 9 a.m. You can contact Lacey Van Stappen for that information. And the second one is 6.30 or 7 p.m. I think it's 6.30. Uh, you can contact Lindsay Golaxon or Lexi Lima for that information. You should get an email uh, with those details. One other thing that I would like to share with you is that uh, Tom and Debbie Verhovnik, who are... Regular attenders of Livingstone Church, they have both contracted the coronavirus and they are currently resting at home, and I would ask that you would please keep them in your prayers. Well, even as we are gathered in separate locations still and at separate times, we believe that God still meets with us as he has promised to do. So let us confess and acknowledge that it is him who calls us to worship as we join together for our call to worship from Psalm 40, verses 4 and 5. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Let us pray. God, we ask that you would meet with us today, that you would meet with us as we gather together digitally. Lord, this is not the way that we Drew this up. This is not the way that we planned it, but Lord, we trust you. We trust in your wisdom. We trust in your sovereign will. Father, we ask that we would hear from you today, that we would hear from your word, that we would hear from you as we go through the service, as we sing your praises, as we hear your word. Would we truly hear, and would we be changed, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing our first song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
1: my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by Thy redeeming love. Hitherto, Thy love has blessed me. Thou hast brought me to this place, and I know Thy hand will bring me safely home by Thy good grace. Jesus, saw See
0: We sang those well-known words, Jesus sought us when we were strangers, wandering from the fold of God. Prone to wander, yes, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. I don't know what that looks like for you right now in the midst of the shutdown, but we all have cheap substitutes that we try to run to instead of running to our Savior. Let us confess Our sins together, then, with this call and response. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God of all mercy and consolation, come to the aid of your people, turning us from our sin to live for you alone. Give us the power of your Holy Spirit, that, attentive to your word, we may confess our sins. Receive your forgiveness, and grow into the fullness of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God of truth, you say in your word that you do not delight in hollow rituals or empty religious ceremony. The sacrifices which please you are a humble spirit and contrite heart. Give us the courage and humility to make honest confession to you in the silence of our hearts. Take some time now for self-examination and personal confession. Almighty and most merciful Father, we are not worthy of your presence, but we look now to Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away our sin. Through him we draw near to you, listening to your voice, trusting in your love, delighting in your word, and carried in your arms. Cleanse our minds of all error and our hearts of all idols that we may share the radiant light of your Spirit and your character with the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. The good news of the gospel is that if you have confessed your sins, we have a Savior who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Hear these words of assurance from Colossians one21 to twenty-three, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Let us continue to worship as we sing how firm a foundation. Of faith this morning is from the Westminster Larger Catechism, question and answer 160. And the question is What is required of those who hear the word preached? Let us answer together. It is required of those who hear the word preached that they listen to it with diligence, preparation, and prayer. That they examine what they hear by comparing it to the scriptures. That they receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the word of God. That they meditate and think on it. And that they hide it in their hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in their lives. Let's sing our next song, Speak, O Lord.
1: As we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in us cry.
0: Today is Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 21, and the title of the message is A Spiritual Hearing Test. Well, I have very sensitive ears, and you might hear me say that and think that that means I can play piano by ear or clearly hear what people are saying all the time. In fact, the opposite is true. I can't play piano by ear. I can't even tune my guitar by ear, and I'm often really not good at clearly hearing what people are saying. Just ask Lindsay how many times I have to ask her to repeat herself. We started watching the Lord of the Rings movie series, and we've had to put the subtitles on because it's hard to make out what they are saying, and I don't think it's just because people are speaking in Elvish. For me, part of this goes way back to my childhood. We had a pool at the house I grew up in, which was a really fun thing, but what isn't really fun is getting constant ear infections and having to put tubes in your ears and consequently not being able to swim without earplugs. The topic of my ears came up recently at the dinner table. One of the kids asked me about my purple thumbnail and whether it was going to fall off. Several months ago, I smashed my thumb under one of those TV rocker chairs. I commented at the dinner table that smashing my thumb was probably a top three pain I've ever felt. The entire weight of my own body and my son Porter rolling over top of my thumbnail. One of the other top three pains was in high school when I had a fungal ear infection and the treatment consisted of the doctor ramming a massive cotton swab full of purple dye into my ear. He told me to squeeze my mom's hand because it was going to hurt, and boy did it ever. Fortunately, most of my kids have not inherited my ears, but one of my sons had really bad ear infections in his first year of life and had tubes put in at an early age. I remember the appointment at the audiologist where his hearing was tested and he was fitted for earplugs so he could go swimming. That was when he was a little bit older. And whether you or someone you know has suffered from some similar things with their ears or with hearing loss, the reality is that our ears are a very important part of our daily lives. What we hear and how we hear is very important. But this doesn't just apply to our physical lives. To those two weird looking flaps of skin and cartilage on the sides of our head. What we hear and how we hear spiritually also determines a lot about us. Our larger catechism question earlier in the service addressed this when we asked, what is required of those who hear the word preached? Which is what we are all doing right now. Are we listening with diligence, preparation, and prayer? which I would argue doesn't just happen during the sermon or two minutes before the sermon. It is our heart posture throughout the week. Are we seeking God in His Word so that when we gather together corporately for worship, we are ready to hear God speak to us through His Word? Not through the preacher, but God speaking His very Word to us. And I will just say that that has probably been one of the hardest things for me about doing these Pre-recorded services. As I'm standing here in the office at church, I am preaching to an empty room, and it's weird. And I know that people are listening and tuning in on Sunday, but it's just not the same. I really miss the face-to-face interaction. I miss your head nods, Jesse Racine. I miss your eye rolls when you try to make when I try to make a funny joke that really isn't funny alexandria wolf i miss your amens daniel humbert and i miss the interaction after the service with all of you i miss the hugs and the snacks and seeing the kids run around but i don't want us to feel like without all of those things that we can't hear god speak to us through his word absolutely this is not ideal And believe me, this is a passage that I really wanted to preach in person. This is one of my favorite passages in the New Testament, and I've never preached on it before. But nonetheless, here we are, and we're all trusting the Lord for wisdom in these unique circumstances. The larger catechism answer goes on to say that we are also to examine what we hear by comparing it to the scriptures. This is your job. Week in and week out. Don't just take my word for it. Examine what is being said and see if it lines up with Scripture. Next, we are to receive the truth with faith, love, meekness, and readiness of mind as the Word of God. Next, we are to meditate and think on it. Don't just think about it during the sermon, go home and think about God's word, think about that passage, meditate on it. And finally, we are to hide it in our hearts and bring forth the fruit of it in our lives, which is a direct reference to the good soil that we are going to see in the parable of the sower. And we will also see both the external and the internal forces and temptations that are at work, trying to get us to wander from the fold of God, as we sang about earlier. This is a great opportunity for us to examine our hearts this morning, or this afternoon, or whenever you're listening. It's a great time for a spiritual hearing test. So brothers and sisters, let us hear and pay attention to God's holy and inspired word as we read Luke chapter 8 verses 4 through 21. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up it withered away, because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And as for what fell among thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. But puts it on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside, desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we need to hear from you. And we need you to give us ears to hear. We need you to open our spiritual ears so that we can hear clearly from you, that we can hear clearly from your word this morning. And we ask that you would do that by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our passage begins with a loud crowd gathering as people are coming from town after town to see Jesus. His popularity is clearly increasing and the demands being placed on him are multiplying. And people are coming to him for all sorts of different reasons. Many have no doubt heard about his healings and they are coming out of desperation. Many have heard about his teaching and preaching and the power with which he speaks, and they want to hear what this guy is all about. Some are probably just following the crowds because they've got nothing better to do. But whatever the reasons, there were certainly many different thoughts and opinions about Jesus. That's really no different than our world today. But Jesus, knowing all these things including what is in the hearts of those who were gathered around him that day, he told them a parable. And not just any parable. This is the parable of parables, which I'll explain in a little bit. We often call it the parable of the sower, which is what Jesus called it in Matthew 13. But the contents and the lessons in the parable might lead us to also call it the parable of the soils, which many Bible scholars prefer to do. Either way, we will see both the importance of the sower and of the soils as we walk through this passage together, mainly asking the questions, what role does the sower play? What role do external forces play? And what role do we as hearers of the word play in our spiritual growth? We will also look at the connection of this parable with the two smaller passages that follow it. So we'll be looking at this in five different parts. The first three on the parable of the sower, then the lamp under a jar, then Jesus' mother and brothers. The parable of the sower is broken up into three different parts. In Mark and Luke's accounts, the ESV only breaks it up into two parts, while Matthew's is broken into three. First, we see Jesus tells the parable in verses 4 through 8. Second, Jesus tells the purpose of the parable and parables, which is in Luke uh, which is in verses nine through 10. and here it's a much sh- it's much shorter than Matthew's version, so the editors must have decided just to combine it with Matthew's third section, which I think is a helpful division, so we'll do the same here. And that third division would be Jesus explaining the parable, which is verses 11. So he tells the parable, verses 4 through 8, gives the purpose of the parables in 9 through 10, and explains this parable in verses 11 through 15. But before we get into the parable itself, it will be helpful to say a few things about Jesus' use of parables, especially in Luke. There are just under 30 parables in Luke, depending on who's counting, and 16 of them are unique to Luke's gospel. Once we get to chapter 10 and the parable of the Good Samaritan, the majority of Jesus' teaching from chapter 10 through chapter 21 is going to be parables. One commentator says that a parable is ultimately a literary rhetorical form of argument. Its purposes include instructing believers, hiding truth from those who reject the message, and shocking the listener through its imagery into reconsidering how one sees the world and God. Say that one more time in case you're taking notes. A parable is ultimately, it's a literary rhetorical form of argument, and it has these three purposes. Its purposes are to instruct believers, to hide the truth from those who reject the message, and then to shock the listener through its imagery into reconsidering how one sees the world and God. And we'll actually see all of these elements exemplified in this parable, which starts off pretty straightforwardly as Jesus gives the details in verses 5 through 8. If you've ever read through the Gospels, if even if you've read through them only one time, there's no doubt that this parable has caught your attention. Again, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which we call the Synoptic Gospels, they all contain this teaching of Jesus. And the details of the parable are very straightforward and memorable. Jesus paints the picture of a sower walking through his land, scattering seed on the ground. There are four different places that the seeds fall. Some along the path, where they are trampled under the feet of those passing by or they're eaten up by the birds. Some fall on rocks and they have no moisture so that they do not grow. Some fall among thorns and get choked out by those thorns. While the fourth and final group falls on good soil and produces an abundant harvest. Now I'm not much of a green thumb. In fact, if you know me, you know that I love building things and so I'm probably more of a purple thumb from getting my fingers smashed up but yard work and landscaping is not my specialty although I am learning after having a trampoline in our yard last summer and then moving it to another spot this summer we've got an entire 12 by 12 patch of dirt because all the grass died out I've got a few other spots in my yard that needed some TLC as well so I got some dirt and some grass seed and I went to work of course I did have to rope off the big section to keep it from getting trampled underfoot but it's been a little more work than than that. I've been doing some watering and pulling weeds in other areas and and waiting patiently to see if this grass is actually going to grow. And some of the spots I have to say look more promising than others. And I think most of us probably have enough experience whether it's doing it ourselves or watching our parents We've seen the process of trying to get grass or flowers or a vegetable garden going. And it's that time of year again, and since we don't really have anything else to do, well, anyways, um, this is not a difficult parable to understand in terms of these types of soil and the seeds and the sower. So why does Jesus conclude with these words at the end of verse 8? He says, he who has ears to hear... Let him hear. I believe it's because what he's about to say next is the key to this parable in particular and to all parables, generally speaking. He's going to talk about the mysterious work of the sower, which helps to unlock the secrets of the kingdom. Now, what do I mean by that? Again, let's look at the passage. Jesus just said... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, y'all better listen up. And the disciples don't say, Oh yeah, we get it. That totally makes sense, Jesus. No, they ask him what the parable means. Look, these guys aren't fools. It's not like the sower sowing his seeds onto four different types of ground doesn't make any sense to them. But they don't understand the meaning this isn't like the mini parable that James preached on last week where Jesus told Simon the Pharisee about the money lender with two debtors one who owed 500 denarii and the other 50 and when both debts were canceled Jesus asked which one will love him more and the answer is so obvious right but the disciples are sh- the disciples aren't sure what Jesus is getting at here and instead of giving them the explanation right away, he explains to them why he is speaking in parables. In verse 10, he says, To you it has been given to know the secrets or the mysteries. The Greek word here is musterion. It's where we get the word mystery. To you has been given to know the secrets or the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables. Now this is interesting because the disciples don't know the meaning of this parable yet. But they're about to. Why? Because Jesus is going to tell them. He's going to unlock the mystery for them. He's going to tell them the secret. He's going to take the blindfold off, as it were, so that they can see and understand. But he doesn't do that for everyone. For others, he speaks in parables, so that, and then he alludes to Isaiah chapter 6, seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. In the parallel passage in Matthew 13, Jesus quotes all of Isaiah 6, verses 9 through 10. And we mention Isaiah 6 a lot around here, especially during our confession of sin, right? Right? The scene in the temple where Isaiah is confronted with the holiness of God and he confesses the uncleanness of his lips and of the people with whom he dwells and he is wrecked because he has seen the Lord. Then the seraphim touches his lips with the coal and it's pronounced that his sins are forgiven and we all cheer and we clap at the good news of our forgiveness. But if we keep reading in Isaiah 6, we don't always like what we see. Well, actually, we do like to quote the next verse. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And we clap, and we cheer again, and we say, Yes, yes, Lord, send me. But do you realize What Isaiah was sent to do, it was a message of judgment. God said, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Well, that's not very in line with our 21st century sensibilities, is it? Maybe not. But Jesus said this is why he spoke in parables. And this passage from Isaiah 6 is quoted in all four Gospels. And in Acts 28, at the very end of Paul's life and ministry, go read it. And in Romans 11, and the point is this, God is sovereign in salvation. Go read John chapter 12, verses 37 to 43. It says, they did not believe so that Isaiah's prophecy might be fulfilled. Then it says, they could not believe unless unless God reverses the judgment against our sin, unblinds our eyes, unstops our deaf ears, and gives life to our dead hearts. This must be understood if we want to understand any of the parables. I said that before. This is the parable of parables. Well, you might be asking, where do you get that from? In the parallel passage in Mark chapter 4, Jesus quotes from Isaiah 6, 9 and 10. And then he said to his disciples, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Do you see what Jesus is doing here? Before he explains the parable to them, he essentially says, look, disciples, There is something you need to understand about how how all of this works. You need to understand that God is working out his sovereign purposes of hardening some hearts and reviving others. And you don't need to know how it works, but that it works. And that immensely important theological truth then prepares them to have the parable explained, which Jesus proceeds to do in verses 11 through 15. He begins with one of the most vitally important details of the parable. The seed is the word of God. It is the thing that was scattered broadly by the sower, And it fell on all four types of soil. And that's what Jesus is about to explain next. Notice what all four types of soil have in common. They all hear the word. And I said earlier that we were going to look at what role external forces play and what role we as hearers play. The first soil is those along the path. They hear the word, but the devil, represented in the original telling by the birds of the air, he comes and takes the word away from their hearts. What? So that they may not believe and be saved. There is a powerful and deadly external force called the devil, and he's real. And he really hates God's people. And he really is actively seeking to steal, kill, and destroy people. But he is not more powerful than God. God, in his sovereign choosing, allows some seeds to never take root in people's hearts before the devil snatches them away. The second soil are those on the rock they also hear the word and even receive it with joy for a time. But when testing comes, again, an external force, in Matthew's account, it's tribulation and persecution on account of the word of God. When those things come from the outside, what happens? They fall away. The third soil are those who also heard, but the seed fell among thorns and gets Choked out. Now we don't know for sure what type of seed this was, but let's assume it's corn. There are actually types of thistles in that part of Israel that would grow up to six feet tall and they would have beautiful flowers on them. They would slowly grow up along with the crop and they would wrap themselves around the stalk and eventually choke out its life. Notice that this is not instantaneous like the first soil. Or after a a short time, like the second soil. This is the entire cycle, the entire life cycle of the crop. And the fruit does, in the end, the fruit does not mature. Why does it not mature? It's because it was choked out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. Don't miss what Jesus is getting at here the forces destroying the seed, and the potential for fruit in the first two soils were external. This one, this third soil, is internal. This one is on us, folks. There's not, the devil made me do it here. There's no, well, it's just too hard to be a Christian in a secular society. Jesus aims his sights right at our hearts. Yes, you hear the word of God. Yes, you may appear to bear some fruit. But you are more in love with the things of this world than you are with Jesus. And that is a heart check that we all need to do. When the headphones go on for our spiritual hearing test, what sounds are blaring the loudest in our ears? Is it the sound of the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life? Or is it the word of God? And if I'm honest with myself, I don't always like what I hear when I put those headphones on. But that's what this parable is all about. It's a call to self-examination. It's a call to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves and asking, am I the good soil that Jesus talks about here? The one who hears the word, holds it fast in an honest and good heart and bears fruit with patience. That word for patience is used in other places in Scripture to talk about waiting on the Lord. This isn't flash-in-the-pan Christian maturity. This is long obedience in the same direction, Christian maturity. But pastor, you said that God is completely sovereign in our salvation, and now you're saying that I need to hear the word and patiently bear fruit over the long haul. So which one is it? And my answer is, yes. Do you think that the explanation of this parable and its purpose were essential for the disciples' ministry of evangelism and discipleship that Jesus sent them out to do, both shortly after this when he sends them out in chapter 9, and just before his ascension when he gave them the Great Commission and told them to go and make disciples of all nations. Do you think the disciples, upon seeing Judas betray Jesus and then take his own life, after three years of walking with Jesus and hearing his teaching, no doubt hearing this very parable explained? Do you think this parable helped them to at least begin to make sense of Judas' life getting choked out? Do you think Peter, as he was being crucified upside down, was comforted? and knowing that his murderer's actions were not outside of God's sovereign will, and yet they would stand accountable before God for their own wicked deeds flowing out of their dead, cold hearts? Let me tell you, after almost 15 years in full-time ministry, I can't tell you how many times I've asked or heard someone ask, What happened to so-and-so? People I've known and trusted. People I've discipled. People I've prayed with. People I've seen appear to bear fruit for the Lord after receiving His word with joy and then just totally turning and walking away from God. Over the years, I've seen the realities of the parable of the sower Played out in real time. Especially in campus ministry. My heart is grieved by the many f- dear friends. People I prayed with. Worshipped with. Shared my heart with. Whose passion and joy for God have been choked out. And replaced by other passions and pursuits. The spiritual battle is real. And the testing thrown at us by the world, is real. And the desires of our flesh are real and deadly. If you're hearing this message right now, and you know that your heart is not the good soil that Jesus talks about, then you need to repent and turn to Jesus and trust Him alone to save you. You need heart surgery because you will not make it to heaven with a cold, dead heart Picture it another way. If your life is a plot of land, you need Jesus to come in with His excavator and dig out every last bit of your rocky, thorny, nutrient-depleted soil and then fill it back up with good, rich soil that will allow His Word to take root and grow in your life. And if you are a Christian, don't think that the good heart or the good soil is something that you've done. It's all a gift of grace. It's all from God. It's all his mercy that has given you the heart transplant when you were laying dead on the operating table and the soil transplant when your field was a barren wasteland. People who have experienced that type of life transformation are those who don't cover up the lamp of God's word but let it shine for all the world to see. They are those who take seriously Jesus' command in verse 18 to take care how they hear, knowing that to them more will be given, not for their own purposes or to squander it away, but in order that more light will shine into the darkness of the world around them. They are those who Jesus talks about in verse 21, when his mother and his brothers are coming and trying to see him. And when Jesus is told about it, he says, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Because there is no such thing as Christian hearers who are not also Christian doers. Jesus' whole teaching here is, Do you want to be with me? Do you want to follow me and experience the type of intimate fellowship that my mother and my brothers have? have had for 30 plus years, then you need to be those who hear what I say and do what I say. You know why? Because the devil is real and he's coming for you to steal and to kill and to destroy the work of God in your hearts. And the world and its attack on your faith are real. So don't love the world more than you love Jesus and the desires of your own heart are deadly, and they will choke out your fruit if you do not put them to death by the Spirit. But the world, the flesh, and the devil are no match for Jesus. He defeated them soundly at the cross. His mercy and forgiveness extend to all of those who have tried to walk their own path or to live according to their own hearts, or have tried to be their own masters, but who have bowed the knee to Him. Because He will have no rivals. Let us hear His word, and let us respond in faith. one way that we typically respond in faith is by observing the sacrament of the Lord's Supper together. Sadly, we are unable to do that during this time that we cannot gather together in person. Instead, we will pray the prayer of longing for the Lord's Supper that is printed in your worship guide. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, our hearts brim with longing today. We long for one another for the day when we might gather again as your body around your table of grace. We long for your table spread out for us in this wilderness where we feast upon the abundance of your house and drink from the river of your delights. We long for you, for your presence that is ours in the supper, It is your body broken and your blood poured out that alone can strengthen our hearts and satisfy our thirst. But until the day of our joyous reunion, teach us to lament this absence in our lives. Teach us to long for you, for your church, for your kingdom, and for the day of your coming again. For on that day, you have promised to lead us up the mountain of God where we will partake with you a banquet of rich foods prepared for all peoples. We pray this in the name of him who is the bread of heaven and the cup of salvation. Amen.